Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to talk today about shepherds and wolves. Father, would you open the word and our heart to the word? We don't want to be entertained. We're not interested in information. We want your word, Lord, to cut us like a sword. We want to be built and healed, strengthened and called forth. And I pray for the grace of God to speak your word and let what you've said, to let your words live in us. Come, Lord. We believe you for a miracle today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start at verse 9. And I will go down to 13, and I'm going to skip down to 18. You can see that. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. We're with Philip. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what's called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magical arts. And when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, They were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, let your eye go down to verse 18. Peter and John know something about Philip. We'll talk about this another time. He does not bring people into the baptism of the Spirit. He gets them soundly saved, gets them water baptized, but that's as far as Philip goes. Don't know why, don't understand it, because the guy certainly moves in the Spirit. But that's where he goes. So the, the, the apostles in, in, in Jerusalem know this. And so they hear there's a revival in, 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 in Samaria, and so they send Peter and John to go complete the work. They start laying hands on people, and they are getting visibly baptized in the Holy Spirit. We Pentecostals all know what that means. Uh, Others, we need to explain it. They were probably speaking in tongues, prophesying, and who knows what else. So the power of God was coming strongly. Simon watches that, and he says, man, I want that. Uh, Verse verse, um, 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, For your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is kind and compassionate. And when he began his ministry, he introduced himself this way. I'd like you to read it with me. You have it right in front of you. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord." That is a very significant passage. Jesus introduces his ministry with those words. He has not been ministering prior to this. He was then baptized at the Jordan River. The power, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's taken 40 days into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. And he heads home. He goes to Nazareth, goes into his hometown synagogue where he grew up. They're reading 
uh, and then draws a scroll they had. So we clearly know that in that particular synagogue, because they didn't have all the books of the Bible, they had a scroll of Isaiah. So he grew up on Isaiah, and you can tell it too as you listen to him preach. So he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. He turns to Isaiah 61, and he reads what I, you and I just read. He says, this is me now. I've come to do what? I've come to uh, preach the gospel, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is why the Father sent him to earth. And this is his heart toward us. Somebody say amen. amen. To save, to release, to heal, and to set free. He is a good shepherd. And when he comes to live inside us, he changes our heart to make it like his. And in doing so, turns us into shepherds too. Do you agree? Yeah. All of us, every single one. It's a good thing you agreed. How could it be any other way? If we have the good shepherd living inside, how could we not love his sheep? God is love. And if he lives inside me, how could I not live a loved-filled life? That's nothing more than the paraphrase of John's words in 1 John. I give you the reference. John, of course, with Simon and Peter, is probably three feet away standing there. So these, this is, this is their thinking. If you've really been saved, the love of God has come into you. That's what John says. And if you don't love... It didn't take. Interesting, isn't it? It's so blunt, and this, this is what he says. Which is why Peter instantly knows Simon isn't saved. Simon said he believed and had been water baptized. He'd hung around with Philip and watched him minister to the sick and oppressed. And then when Peter and John arrived, he'd been amazed at what he saw when people were, received the Holy Spirit. Now, he wanted that same power. But he wanted it for wrong reasons. In spite of his confession of Christ, his heart hadn't changed. He wasn't a shepherd. What was he? Yeah, he was a wolf. That's not just my words being mean. That's Paul's words being mean. Okay. How many recognize the word simony? You've seen it. It is an English word. It is in, your, it is in the dictionary. At least it was. Who knows what they do to the dictionaries now? This man's name has been incorporated into the English language. The definition of simony is, quote, to traffic in that which is sacred. It's the, quote, crime of buying or selling ecclesiastical preferment. That's Webster. Whether you've read it in the dictionary or not, you recognize what we're talking about. Somebody who uses their spiritual gifts, their spiritual authority to get money or some sort of personal benefit. In other words, a person commits the sin of simony when they use their spiritual gifts or authority as a means of generating money or other personal benefits. This isn't to say it's wrong for a church to support ministers. In fact, the Bible teaches that principle. But this man serves as a warning to us about the danger of desiring God's power for selfish reasons. He reminds us that only those with a shepherd's heart should minister to God's flock. Now, we can all think of corrupt TV ministers or big names we know. But I want to suggest to you that this tendency, this, this inclination, the, 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 the impulse, as it were, to, to use my spiritual authority to somehow benefit myself, to manipulate, to control, to get something I want, rises in all of our hearts. I don't think we should just, I mean, we need to beware leaders and people who do this, absolutely. But we also need to beware it's rising in us. I mean, when you're bringing a prophetic word and suddenly there's that impulse to keep going and tell this bunch of nitwits what they, you, they, God wanted to tell them all along as far as you're concerned. Come on, you, we do this. I mean, stick around. The inclination, when, when, when you have ministered to somebody and they've been healed, they are so grateful. When, when you have ministered to their children, parents will do, and, and, and made a difference, there are parents who will do anything for you. 
anything for you. They are so grateful they can hardly bear it. When you are used by God, people kind of think you did it a little bit. And you begin to get in on this thing and they love you too. And you can use that if you don't have integrity. You can make money off it. You can dominate people. You can do all sorts of things. Can you, can you see how integrity is absolutely, absolutely foundational? The more, the more a person is, is, is gifted or used of God, the more integrity must be there or they are dangerous. I will give you something I've learned over the years. If you see a spiritual leader and, and, the, and, there's, and, the, and, and there's an anointing lifting, it's not there. There's something really wrong. I, over the years, I used to think, oh, cut it out, Steve. Stop thinking that. Don't be suspicious. And then uh, virtually, when someone is in a position and the anointing's gone, I mean, there's, there's a reason. And it's usually worse than you think. Now, that'll set you up for the morning, won't it? <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I'm not trying to be overly sour. I don't have to try. It's easy. All we are is, but we're looking at Simon and we're looking at a situation which is very real. It's alive. It's an issue. It's something we all have to be aware of in ourselves and, and, the, and those around us. For years, I mean, I, I can't remember not doing this. I've done this long before I came to Northwest Church. I have asked that I not know what anyone gives. So whoever's our, 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 our financial person I don't know what people give. Now, it comes at times when someone's nominated for a, the business council, they have to tithe. And sometimes people are nominated to be a business council person, and then it turns out they don't tithe, and I find that out. Um, and you know, that's, that's what it is. But I, I don't know. Why, why do I do that? It's not because I'm nice. It, it's because I'm not nice. I've had one of two reactions Either when I find out some, what somebody gives, I'm impressed. It's like, wow, whoa. And you get treated a little nicer. A little more, little more space, maybe, for you. Or I find the other side, and I think, you, cheapskate. You've been coming here demanding everything left and right, and you give that? I don't win either way. And for me, there is no middle ground. I'm either impressed or hate your guts. And so I, I just can't know. A wolf's heart. I wish I hadn't told my own story and then had this title. A wolf's heart. As we move through the first chapters of Acts, we've seen the devil attack the church in a variety of ways. There have been threats, threats, and I don't even give you references, there have been so many, of flogging, lying, that'd be Ananias and Sapphira, cultural tension, a public execution, violent religious persecution, and now a man who wants to be a leader in the church to get money and control. Paul calls such people Wolves, and I'll show you that in a moment. And Jesus calls them hirelings. Remember that? What does he say about a hireling? He, he says that the shepherd, when he sees the wolf coming, will stand and defend the sheep, even to the loss of his own life. A hireling will do what? Why? He doesn't love the sheep because they are not his. And he says, but I'm the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I will lay down my life for my sheep. A hireling works for money. A shepherd loves the sheep. This encounter with Simon is not a minor event. It is a major attack by the devil to insert a wolf into the growing Samaritan church. You see this? 
And he still tries to bring wolves into the flock. In fact, we all need to guard our heart against this impulse. But Peter was a good shepherd and he stopped that wolf. You have a growing movement. The, the, the Samaritans are by, by the droves turning to Christ. And here you have a man who has been a prominent uh, spiritual influence. He's a shaman. And he's been, he's been influencing the whole nation. And he simply comes up to them and says, give me money. Give me money. I mean, I'll give you money if you will teach me how to do this. You'll teach me how to do this. Now, all, what, what, if you were nice, what would you do? You'd say, oh, no, you can't buy it. It's free. Let me, let, me, let me pray and show you how. But Peter saw deeper. Simon the shaman. Simon was a man who made his living by practicing divination. He used magic, that would be sacrifices, incantations, special ceremonies, to curse or protect, prosper or impoverish people. He would cast spells or break spells, and what he did had an observable effect. When he cursed somebody, trouble came. When he protected someone, things got better. That's why people gladly paid him to do the spiritual work they needed. And he was good at it. He had a national reputation in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and young and old, rich and poor, called him the power of God. Now, anybody here, would, you, you, would, you, would, you would allow people to call you the power of God. Wouldn't you kind of, you say, oh, don't say that. And, and just kind of like watch out for the lightning strikes. You'd be afraid to have that, wouldn't you? It's just like, no, don't, don't go there, don't go there, no, 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 no. He took it, he liked it. Tells you something. Called him the power of God. He was full of pride and self-promotion. To allow himself to be called the power of God shows he had no fear of the true God because the people of Samaria did know about the true God. They had some, some, some twists and turns in the way they did things, but they knew the God of the Bible. When Philip showed up, he simply had much more power than Simon. There was no real contest. Philip made Simon look weak by comparison, and Simon, amazed by what he saw, said he too believed in Jesus and was baptized. When Peter and John showed up, they laid their hands on people, and the Holy Spirit came in such power that there were supernatural manifestations taking place in them. When Simon saw that, his unchanged heart was exposed. He was thrilled to see such power and knew that if he could control it, it would make him even richer and bring him greater honor. So he offered Peter money, asking him to teach him how to operate this kind of magic. That's what he was fundamentally asking. And all of us can be forever grateful that the person he asked was Peter. Can that be better? I mean, you can just hear him winding up. This is the man who's not going to be nice to you after someone told him, get thee behind me, Satan. And so here this guy comes with this disgusting request, and it's to Peter. Oh, bless the Lord. It couldn't be better. It couldn't be better. Basically, Peter's response was, may your silver go with you into eternal destruction. Now, the word he uses, Apollyon, basically he says, may your money go with you to you know where. He just pops him. He doesn't, there's no nicety about this. Like, oh, brother, let me correct you. It's like, may your money and you go right to where you're headed, hell. And then he says, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? Then he tells Simon he's not saved, so there's no missing the point. He says, you have no part or lot in this matter because your heart is not, and the word he uses is straight before God. When something is straight, have you ever been to sheep country or cattle country out, out in the hill, and you see on the, the hillsides these lines where the, where the cattle or the sheep walk? You know those, what I'm talking about? There are often a bunch of them. And, and, and you think, well, oh, he's walking the same spot. Those are called in the Bible straight paths. So when God makes your path straight, he's putting you on one of those. So when the shepherd leads the sheep across the hillside, the sheep are walking on those straight paths. And the shepherd's in front of them. 
But if the sheep turns right or left, uphill, downhill, into a ravine, now you're off the path. So Peter says, you're not on the straight path. You are not headed to the Savior. You, are, you have turned and you are walking another direction altogether. He calls, um, yes, there we go. Then he calls him to repent and to ask God to forgive the wicked attitudes in his heart. So Peter isn't just abandoning him entirely. He calls him to repent and says, you better really deal with God. And finally, he speaks prophetically. The, the language is, 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 is so prophetic in what, the way it's said here. He speaks prophetically to him saying, Peter says, I see you in the bile of bitterness. You know what bile is? It's this greenish yellow goo that comes out of some part of us uh, and, and, and of cattle and animals. And so in that kind of culture where you slaughter your own meat, they all know what bile is and they all know. I mean, it's a, he says, I see you basically immersed in bile. And then he uses the word bitter, bitter bile. And then he says, I see you, I see you in chains to unrighteousness. So Peter says, I'm seeing you right now full of bitterness and enslaved to sin. He's prophesying. He's prophetically telling him where he is. Simon responded as any magician would. He asked Peter to pray such a curse off him. That's what that request is. You, you go do whatever you need to do to get that bad, bad stuff off me, okay? A shepherd's heart. What changes have taken place in the human heart when someone has become a true shepherd? Before we try to answer that question, let's admit that nobody but God can fully understand the miracle that takes place when someone surrenders to Jesus as Lord and trust that he has become their righteousness by his cross and resurrection. The change that takes place is far deeper than the words they say or the act of water baptism. Those are outward expressions of an inward reality. Would you read that line? Those are outward expressions. Say it again. Those are outward expressions when you confess with your mouth, if it reflects the truth of your heart, it's beautiful. If when you're water baptized, you're saying, I die with Jesus Christ, I rise with Jesus Christ, you're declaring it by, by your baptism. That's beautiful. But if the heart's not there, if it isn't a genuine reflection of what's inside, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. These are ways of expressing what's in the heart. So, so Simon has confessed, and Simon has been Water baptized, but the heart never let go. I, I mean, who can really define all that goes on in the human heart when someone honestly, really repents and believes? Boy, you can sure see it when it happens, though, huh? It's beautiful. The eyes change. The, the life begins to change. John will teach. The person will begin to love the right and practice righteousness. The person will begin to love people, John says. He says, and the spirit will bear witness. He says, when somebody's really changed, it'll just, you can't, you can't avoid that fruit. It simply will come because the heart's different. Why is it that some people can be exposed to this and hear this and say the things and even go through the water baptism and yet the heart never, my guess in his case was surrendered. I don't know. I don't know what held him, but he never let go of something. And the miracle didn't take place. The changes that take place are deeper than words. They're the, the, or, or the, we say, or the act of water baptism, they're the outward expressions of an inward reality. The process started when God gave them a revelation of himself. See, I think when someone really, the heart changes in someone, it starts with God revealing himself to you. Some people say he comes and he convicts you of sin, but I honestly don't think he has to. I don't think he does it that way. I don't think he comes and says, that's nasty. Ooh, that's, oh my goodness. I don't think he comes and just sort of says, look at the nastiness in you. All he has to do is show you himself. Amen. And you go, oh, wow. Oh, uh, I am so not like you, Right? 
you are so kind. You are so patient. You are so pure. I mean, don't you? I mean, I live with this, don't you? I mean, and, and it's not a condemnation. I'm not, I, but, I, but I get it. I mean, my flesh, and then I'm with him, and I read the word, and I watch Jesus and how he treats me. I'm so different. I'm so grateful for the grace of God. And I keep coming back to him over and over again. It's his grace that, that keeps me. And he's not condemning me. He's not pointing to things. He doesn't have to. The more he shows me who he is, the more my flesh shows for what it is. But he also lets me know that my spirit loves him. And I'm his. And I'm righteous. He sh- the process starts when, he, when God gave them a revelation of himself and their need. But at some point, they cried out asking him to save them. And he did. That person doesn't become perfect and will still wrestle with temptation, but there will be a new attitudes present in that heart. There, here are five. First of all, love. Would you say, read this line with me. I love him and my greatest joy is pleasing him. Is that true of you? I mean, whatever weaknesses you have, whatever fra- failures or frustrations you may have, do you love him? Does your heart long to please him? Not to earn anything, not to keep your hide out of hell. None of, it's not some kind of neuroses. You just love him. And you want him, you, when he's full of joy, and you know what brings him joy, it's people. And so when you serve him and are ministering and bringing people to him or bringing healing into people's lives, it just makes you happy. You haven't earned anything, you're just delighted. When you give a gift to a loved one and they're delighted with it, aren't you pleased? just because you made him happy. It's nothing complicated in that. So number two, fear. Read, read this line. I fear him because I know he sees all things and will hold me accountable for what I teach and how I care for his people. This is a realization. I, I had a, a, a man talk to me the other day and I can't remember who it is. So it was one of you, I, I don't even recall that. But I remember what was said. And they said, I was raised in a particular church and I was raised uh, and, I, and I served in that church and the, kind of on the staff and the pastor was mentoring me and he began to teach me how to get money out of people. He, be, he said he was, he was teaching me um, to, you know, when to take the offering, what to say before, what kind of things ought to be done, how to get more money out of the people. And he said it really, it, it, it's, it's troubled me, made me, made me uh, uh, suspicious, made me distrustful. And he said, I've had a hard time over the years getting that out of my, out of my system, just to be able to trust because I've seen this kind of religious manipulation. When he's told that story, can I tell you my response? Fear. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I wouldn't do that. We're not even talking love here. Just like, all I know is he'd bake my grits. I mean, I just know I, I would get away with it that far to pull at some kind of thing. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite people of all time is Bill Johnson. He, he, not, not the one in Bethel. Um, and I'm not commenting on him. I'm just saying the one I'm talking about was on our pastoral staff here. You remember Bill? Yeah. Bill and Carol. And what a, what a, what a great couple. And Bill had the, be- the, most, the finest pastor's heart. I mean, you, you, could, you would never give him an assignment that he wouldn't gladly take. And we just heaped it on him. And, and, it's, it was, and, and, and he, just, he just, people just kept pushing stuff on Bill. And Bill would do it happily because he loved people. One time we were talking about, uh, about you know, uh, we had a situation where someone had been unfaithful. And, and he made this comment. He said, uh, he says, I know what people say about grace and forgiveness. I get all that. He says, but I know this. That if I was ever unfaithful to Carol, God had sent me to hell. He says, say what you want about grace. I know all that. He says, I would go to hell. Now, now what is he telling you? He's telling you, in my mind, I got no, there's no give in here. There's no flexibility in this thing about purity and loyalty to my wife. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't 
cheat a little bit. There is, I'm not going to count on grace. I'm not going to play with this thing. If I did it, God would send me to hell. And I said, amen, Bill, he would. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't, but I actually said me too. So fear. Uh, Paul says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore, Paul says, the fear of the Lord, and he goes on. I'm telling you, anybody who really walks with God, I know, and this thing has gets so downplayed in, 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 in the U.S. culture, and it's so considered out of vogue and so legalistic, and every so often, some, if I ever quote that, I get scolded. I'm sorry, it's in your Bible too. You know, you'll have to rip the page out if you don't like it. And it says it other places. Will you stand and give an account of your life as a Christian? And we're not even talking heaven and hell here, but will you give an account? You certainly will. I will. And I get double judged when I teach wrong or the way I treat his flock. And so do you actually. And so you live with a, you live with a certain respect, shall we say? You don't just take things for granted. It's not just foolishness. You, you know you have a Lord who sees all things. Thirdly, hope. I believe in eternal life and know that, the true, that true riches await me there. That's where I want my riches. But Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's a very simple principle he's teaching. Nothing in this world lasts except people. A billion years from now, the person you're sitting next to will, be, will exist and be feeling just fine. Thank you very much. People last forever. The, 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 actually, this planet will be gone and will have been recreated or literally resurrected. In, 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 the, 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 the universe will be gone. Everything will, is, is passing away. The people. So Jesus says, don't spend your time trying to get rich here. If you've set your mind on my kingdom, I'll take care of you, okay? And I'll allow you to do eternal work. And the eternal work, the only thing he's talking about is bringing the love and salvation of Jesus Christ to people. However you do that, and there's many ways. But however it is that you're involved in bringing people the love of God, the healing of God, the salvation of God, the deliverance of God, the stuff Jesus mentioned, as when you're a part of that, you're doing eternal work. And what's your treasure? Well, if you want a big bag of gold, I suppose they can give it to you. It's called pavement up there. <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, go out with a jackhammer and give you a piece. If, if, I mean, if this, if this is what you need, what's money? Okay. But, but what will be your treasure? You'll look around and see people's sweet eyes. You already get some of this, you know, when you minister to somebody and just the thanks and the love in their eyes. When you see somebody that's walking with Jesus Christ and you know where they were headed. Does that a reward? Does that, I mean, that is so sweet. That's your treasure. And if it isn't, something's wrong. Something's wrong in the heart. If that doesn't give you your fulfillment and your joy, something's wrong. You got priorities out of whack. Faith. I see the reality of the spiritual world. I know that this is not all there is. I know that you and I are eternal. I see things that way. I'm dealing with eternal beings. Paul says, we look not at the things which are seen, but are at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal and calling. I do this because he told me to do it. He put you in my life, and told me to care for you. Read that line, would you? He put you in my life and told me to care for you. As a believer, I'm called to shepherd his sheep. The only difference is the size and age of the flock. Wherever he's put me, but every one of us, when the shepherd's heart comes in us, becomes a shepherd. Every one of us becomes a shepherd. The age, the size, the whomever it is, wherever it is, of our flock varies. But the shepherd's heart doesn't. Under shepherds. In Ezekiel, 
God warns religious leaders that someday he would take his sheep away from them and give them to the true shepherd, the Messiah, his son. So now, since Jesus has arrived, the Messiah, there is only one shepherd of God's sheep. This means believers should always think of themselves as what? Say it again. As caring for sheep who belong to someone else. People never belong to us. They belong to one shepherd. Jesus announced himself as this shepherd in John 10. Through Ezekiel, God had promised, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, he keeps talking about David. Was this written before or after David was alive? After. So David's dead uh, by quite a a long time. So how can he talk about David? Is he going to resurrect David and stick David over, over, over his people? Who's he talking about? The son of David. That's what this is. The son of David. He says Messiah, the promised one. He says to the, to the religious leaders, I put my people under you. And instead of healing the sick, you, you, you ignored them. You didn't go after the lost. You, you didn't care for them and protect them. They wandered on the hillsides. You abandoned my people. You took their wool and you ate their flesh. You, you saw my people as food. Let that sink a minute. You saw my people as a source of food. He says, therefore, I will take them away from you and I will give them to one true shepherd. Not to many. I'll give them to one, my son, the Messiah. And he will feed them. He will protect them. He will heal them. He will search for them. My son, my shepherd, he will care for them. I'll send him. And that shepherd people has come. Jesus Christ says this. This is what he was announcing in John 10. He is announcing himself as that guy. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Hallelujah. God has given his flock to his son. We all belong to him and we all serve him. Here are the attitudes of an under-shepherd. Read these out loud with me. First of all, I'm not in charge. Say it again. You're not. Your job is to follow him. To find, if you're a, you know, we get this so weirded. If you're a husband, you're not the boss of your family. You're the first one who's supposed to be praying and asking the Lord for his will. He hasn't given up his authority to anybody. Right leadership is simply good followership. Seek the Lord. Seek the mind of the Lord. Pray. Ask him. Follow him. And then others will follow you. And you will lead them in a healthy, wholesome way. And that family will prosper. Churches, businesses, anything. Nobody made you the leader. It made you the follower, the best follower, and then you're safe for others to follow. I'm not in charge. I have no power in myself. Say that. Well, you might generate something, but we don't want it. I mean, you might mentally bend spoons and all kinds of junk, but we don't want it. I mean, there is psychic energy. Let's be clear about this. You You can do weird stuff. We don't want it. Say this, number three, they don't belong to me. They do not belong to you. You know, when we do child dedications, that's what we're declaring. These parents who have been given this precious child are saying, God, I get it. You have entrusted this child to me. You have given me the wonderful privilege of raising and nurturing and praying and loving this child the rest of my life. 
But ultimately, this child must love you. Ultimately, this child must follow you. Ultimately, this child must serve your calling. This child isn't come to, to be mine. This child is only for me to raise for a time and give with all my heart into your hands. When, when you have a, 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 a spouse who loves Jesus more than you, you ought to be thanking God with all your heart because it means they'll love you too. Your heart's safe in the hands of someone who loves Jesus more than you. You follow this? They don't belong to us. People aren't ours. They are his. They, I'm not the one they must love. Say that. Now, I want their heart. I want them to love him more than me. I am not jealous of that. I do not compete with that. I am delighted with that. There isn't the slightest doubt in my mind or anyone who knows her that my wife loves Jesus more than me. Hallelujah. I mean, she'll put up with me. Oh, she loves me, but I mean, that's why. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll move on. We're in trouble now. No, number five, say it out loud. No one owes me anything after all I've done for them. All of my sacrifices, all of my long hours, all of that prayer. I, why I served them, I gave them, I, I provided for them. I've put up with this for years and that's the thanks I get. No one owes you anything. Then why did I do it? Shall we go back over the list? <laughs> and may I add, you will be rewarded? You'll hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy master. If that's not enough, I don't know what to do for you. There is a great deal of thanklessness and weariness. There's a great deal of disappointment and frustration. You have invested for years. You have prayed. You have done everything in your power. And they're still in their, in their flesh. But you didn't do it just for them. You did it for the one who loves them more than you do. And he's very grateful. For the most part, sooner or later, people will love you. People will be grateful. But you can't do it for those reasons. Or it'll break your heart, you'll quit. You'll quit way too early if you look for thanks from them. Number six, I'm still a sheep. Go ahead. I'm still a sheep and I need him as much as you do. Whenever you start talking shepherd and sheep, it's almost like there's two different classes of human beings. There is not. We are all sheep. Some, I mean, we just, different sheep lead different sheep. But bottom line, there's a shepherd and we are his sheep. Would you read this wonderful Psalm 23? By the way, if you haven't memorized this, there it is in the proper version. It only should be said in King James. It should never be said any other way. Um, but let's read it out loud. You might, might, just, you might just memorize this precious thing uh, uh, this week or so. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. And David says, I won't want. And he'll make me lie down in green pastures. But I, I just felt there was one more thing to say. There are green pastures in the summer. There are times when it's, it's belly deep alfalfa. 
But frankly, there are other seasons. There are harder seasons to be a shepherd. There are times when it's difficult. There are times in which the environment and the world we live in gets tougher and tougher to be a shepherd. I have a picture on my office wall. It was here when I got here. It was in the fireside room. And um, when, then when we were doing things with it, it was kind of getting lost. And I said, I, I, I want that. Please put it in, in my office. And I've had it there ever since. I love this picture. Uh, let me show it to you. I think there's a prophetic word in it. It shows a shepherd and, and sheep. This is a, a, a Scott artist uh, by the name of Farkerson. And uh, our Foursquare pastor in, in Burien, Bruce Norquist, he and his wife were, lived in Scotland. He went to school there. And he pastored there. And he says he's been to this very place. And he says, where you're seeing from this picture, he said, this is the front porch of the house. So this, he says, it looks just, I mean, that's, that's the scene. So it's actually a scene. And you notice what we see there. We, we see the sheep, but we see them grazing in, in winter, in snow. Are there winter seasons? Are there difficult seasons? Those, those, th- those poor sheep are having to paw through the snow to get a little bit of grass. And then you see the shepherd. What, what is he doing? Now yeah, he's bringing them the food on his back. Bringing it in a time of winter. In a time of difficulty, but he still feeds his sheep. And I just feel like the Lord says, there are times that I'll lead you in green pastures. And there are times when it will be snowy pastures. But I'll feed you. And I call you to feed my people in the hard times. To put that hay on your back and to care for my people. For I'm their good shepherd. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you to stand, but don't stand yet. I want you to stand as I, as I call your category. If you are a grandparent, would you stand to your feet? If you are a parent, would you stand to your feet? If you are a spouse, would you stand to your feet? If you have a brother or a sister, would you stand to your feet? If you're a teacher, whether it be in the schools, whether it be in the life of a, the church, or if you're a teacher, would you stand? If you're a minister, you serve the Lord, you have a ministry and a calling and he uses you, would you stand to your feet? Do you have elderly parents, would you stand to your feet? Do you know why you're standing? You're under shepherds. You have been given a flock. Now there's going to be more than just the ones I've named. But you have assignment. You have children. You have grandchildren. You have a spouse that's been trusted to you. You you have students that have been trusted. You have people that rely on you. You are a shepherd. And God sees you that way. He sees you as, as, as his people through whom his shepherd's heart is caring for his flock. And he's trusting us to be that. Have you seen your flock? Do you recognize it? Do you accept your flock? Do you say, Lord, thank you for my flock? Even the stubborn ones. <laughs> Has he given you the heart of a shepherd? Will you shepherd them well? That probably deserves an answer. Will you lay down your life for your sheep? Pretty sobering, isn't it? That's what it's talking about. Father God, we come before you. We come before the great shepherd of the sheep who loves us and is faithful. We thank you so much for giving us a true shepherd who has laid down his life for us.
who does not flee when the wolf comes, but has fought for us and defended us and continues to do so. Lord, as he dwells inside of each of us, as we have repented and confessed Jesus Christ, as, as the Spirit of the Lord has filled us to overflowing, we bless you that Christ is in us. Jesus, great shepherd, you are inside of me and you make my heart like yours. Grant me a shepherd's heart to love, to serve, and to be willing to die. I receive it. Wherever I have chafed under that load, wherever I have been frustrated because they weren't thankful, wherever I was frustrated because uh, it took too long, wherever I was sorry for myself, wherever I began to lose my focus, forgive me, my God. I know there's boundaries and I know I must have wisdom in how I do these things, but God give me the heart of a shepherd to love your sheep. I receive it and I believe it and I praise you that nothing done in faith with you will be unfruitful. That there is no such thing as failure. You will move mightily. You will work powerfully. That that the ministry that has happened will find its soil in the hearts that we've sown in. Blessed be the Lord who's called us to serve beside him as under shepherds. We pray this, we agree to it in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with me, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.